The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox is here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management, along with Jay Llewellyn. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you all today. Good morning, Good morning, Good morning, Good morning, Don. So, you know, we've been talking for so long about, you know, interest rates and, you know, every quarter or so they're going up. I think we're at eight in a row now. And uh, yes, uh, obviously, last week we had another one, although uh, only a quarter of uh, a quarter of a point this time. Uh, is that does that surprise you in any way? We've had half point jumps in the past. Yeah, they there there was you know well broadcasted it likely was going to be a quarter. Kind of reminds me at the very beginning of this interest rate um rise. Um in April of, of 22, uh rates went up by a quarter percent and then they took on a huge beastie kind of ups upward trend, up a percent, up a three quarters percent, and up you know dramatically. And now we're actually at the, I think that might be the last one, and I really crossed my fingers on this up another quarter percent, almost bookending the very first one. So it, it's like it's weaning off the interest rates uh, increase. And so that's what we're hoping. Prime rate is now at 6.7 in Canada, but inflation has been dropping. So there's a very, it, you know, it's taking its, it's taking its toll on inflation, which is what it was supposed to do. It is slowly having its effect. And it does take usually about a year for it to take its effect. So we're the reason it's been dropping is what took place to the interest rates eight months ago or nine months ago or a year ago. So anyway, it's uh, it's doing it. And, uh, you know, hopefully we're in for a very soft landing. Our employment numbers are great. And that's kind of holding the economy together. So uh, and the markets uh, have been doing quite well, uh, thinking that this was the uh, end of the interest rate rises. Obviously, we've heard that the sweet spot for inflation is in around 2%. We're still sitting at, what, 6% area in and around there. Um, What's that trip going to be like from 6% back to 2 You know what? It went up really quick. It can fall very quickly. It can come down that fast. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're that's the anticipation. And uh, and again, I think the markets are thinking the same thing. That's why you're seeing, you know, the stock markets and the bond markets all going up significantly in January. But uh, on a on a different note, I know Jay's got some compelling, super interesting topic he's been <laughs> waiting to talk about. He was watching the morning news on CH this morning and. Uh, and you, yeah, I, can't, I don't want to steal your thunder, Jay. Okay, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Anyways, yeah, I always get to talk about the fun stuff, right? So talking about non-medical or no medical life insurance. So yeah, I was watching CH this morning and they had a commercial on there for one of the uh, one of the companies that's selling this non-medical life insurance. So um, just kind of got me thinking uh, the other day and and there's been a couple strange cases in the last week that have come across my desk. One uh, was in the paper, it was a man was murdered. Um, and then the insurance company denied his claim. And I thought, that's kind of weird. Like, did he, what, what didn't he disclose? What, what happened? And basically had criminal activity prior to him being murdered. And the insurance company said, well, we asked you the questions. You didn't disclose it. So they denied his claim. Well, he fought it in court, I guess as a state fought in court and they ended up winning, which is very rare for uh, the consumer to win on against one of these big insurance companies. So it's kind of neat that not neat that the guy was murdered, but the, the fact that <laughs> the fact that is the fact that is the state actually got the money from the insurance company. And it was just really odd and 
uh, precarious what was going on with the whole case. And it went on for a couple of years, but they've, the insurance company appealed it last week and they were denied. So it's the, the little guy won it, I guess, in this hey, case. Who, and then the other one was, who, yeah, who, go said, ahead. who said this topic was dull? This is captivating. Here. <laughs> I take I'm it trying my best. I'm trying my best here. <laughs> you're, all just, right? you're stoking the fire, Jay. You go, man. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, let's dull it down a bit here. So a client of mine calls this week and he says, listen, I got uh, approved for no medical life insurance. And I said, well, I know he's been a client for the last 15 years. And I know he had cancer, um, you have multiple myeloma, myeloma cancer uh, 10 years ago. And I said, there's no way he's getting standard rates on his insurance. I said, I, you know, what insurance company do you use? He said, well, I went to this company and it was no medical. I went through Costco, not to throw Costco under the bus because they do offer uh, medical uh, insurance, but they, he went through Costco and they, they offered him in coverage, but he hasn't got the contract yet. He hasn't got the details yet. They just said he's been pre-approved. So we're going through the process to see what's actually going on and what the fine print is on that. So I just kind of wanted to shed some light on how different types of insurance that are out there, not the actual types of insurance in terms of term or whole life, but more on how it's underwritten. So we have basically four different types of insurance. Um, one is full underwriting. So this is when you go through the full medical, you do a, a medical questionnaire. Um, you, you may have to go have a visit from a, a nurse or go, go see the doctor. Um, there's blood work usually required, height and weight, maybe urine sample. There's all kinds of different things that the insurance company can ask for uh, in terms of underwriting, depending on how much coverage you want and, and what your health is and how you answer the questions. There's just so many different things. So that's your traditional type of underwriting. Um, it's, it's the least expensive of all the types of insurance because they put you through the ringer pretty good. Um, and it takes anywhere from 30 days up to, it could take up to a year to get approved, depending on the amount of coverage and what, what type of underwriting needs to be done and how fast you go through and get all those appointments appointments done. So it's very inconvenient for a lot of people if they've got to go through all these tests. People are busy these days and, and don't want to go through all those tests to save a few bucks. And at the end of this conversation, I'll talk to you, talk to you about how much money actually the difference is on each one of these. Um, the next one is accelerated issue. Um, there are limitations on this one, unlike the first one where there's no real limitations on the amount of coverage you can get. Um, this one has a maximum of a million dollars worth of coverage, similar to the full underwriting process. Uh, the other, the difference in this one is that they they basically look at it and say if you're a certain age, certain stage in life, um, non-smoker, um, generally those people are are more healthy and they're going to approve you with no medical or very little medical questions. So they may ask you three or four questions: Have you had a heart attack? Have you had a stroke? Um, and if you haven't had any of those, you're approved. And it's there's no exclusions, no no um, no different um, under writing that has to be done it's just pretty cut and dry so a lot of people are 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 going in this direction if their their needs are less than a million dollars and they're in good health if you identify that you've had a pre-existing condition then there's going to be further underwriting on these types of policies so it's a combo or kind of a hybrid between that first one that we were talking about does that the second one cost, is does that insurance cost uh, more or less than if you went through all the tests Again, it's it's about the same amount. Um, again, it's very similar in cost. They 
maybe slightly higher if you don't go through the full underwriting process. You can request to go through the full underwriting process because if you're in above average health, let's say, you can actually get premiums less than what the standard rates are. So, you know, when you when you get a rate from your insurance advisor or online, it's generally a standard rating is what they're issuing. But if you're in better than average health, you go through that underwriting process and you make sure that you're you're getting the discounted rate. Um, if you think you can get the discounted rate, better to go through that full underwriting process for sure. Um, and then this one is a simplified issue. So minimal application questions, very, very few questions. Um, you're basically pre-approved. Um, however, if you've got pre-existing conditions, you may be excluded or those conditions may be excluded. So again, that, that type of coverage is limited up to 500,000. So you can only get uh, coverage up to the 500,000 without really producing any medical evidence. Um, it can be very costly though. Um, very similar to the last one, which we're going to talk about is the guaranteed issue where if you've been declined for life insurance and you don't it's impossible to get coverage anywhere else and no no one carriers are covering you um, you can get this thing called guaranteed issue and it's up to twenty five thousand dollars of coverage um, many exclusions so one of the exclusions is if you die in the first two years it doesn't pay out um, so, so, so Jay, th these are the ones you hear on the commercials yeah exactly exactly okay. so, yeah so this is what you know, it looks all rosy and it says, geez, this is great. Um, $2,000. If I've got some life threatening illness, I can make sure that I get $25,000 that I can give to my kids for funeral costs, uh, whatever bereavement type costs that are, that are involved at the end of life. Um, but there are catches. Um, again, that two year, that two year window is there. Um, but you are approved instantly and you're automatically approved. So that it is a, a nice way to get coverage and it makes you feel good. But the one drawback is, or what we've seen is that, um, there are some, these red flags, um, a lot of these policies end up lapsing. 99% um, of these policies end up lapsing because the guaranteed issue, the $25,000 of the coverage is set at a certain amount of, of, of premiums, but that the, those premiums are set to rise. They have the, the ability to rise. So mortality rates, things like that, insurance companies not making money, they have the ability to raise those rates. And if you don't keep paying the premiums, a policy laps. So we, we see a lot of these policies. I was just Googling on, on what, uh, how many of these policies actually pay out. And it was less than 1% of these policies actually pay out because and they, the they rise every year. Yep, they, they can. They could. Yep, they could rise every year. So they set the premiums at a certain amount, and then there's a there's a window or a range on how much they can range or, or raise the premiums. There is a cap on how high they can raise them. They can't just charge you ten thousand dollars a year. Um, so there is a range. Um, I didn't really dig deep enough, I guess, to see what that range would be year after year. But they they have the ability to change it. So I just did a quick running of a number uh, or a, a quotation for a, a 60 year old female and she can buy $25,000 of coverage through one of these guaranteed issue plans and it costs her $1,630 a year. Um, so it seems reasonable, you know, if, if someone's terminal and they, they think they can get coverage. So remember the first two years, if you pass away, you don't get, you don't get, it doesn't get paid out. Um, however, if this woman's in excellent health, um, she could buy up to $625,000 worth of coverage. That's 25 times the, the $25,000 amount if she's in good health. So people that are 60 that think they're not in good health, they should really go through the process. And if they want it, they want coverage, go through the process, go through the underwriting process, see if they can get approved. If they can get approved, maybe that policy isn't as, uh, as cheap as, uh, 
as someone that's super healthy, but they may, there may be a rating on it, but it won't, won't be six, $1,630 for the 25,000. So again, going, going through the whole process, getting coverage and possibly getting reduced amount of coverage or a little bit more costly um, is a better option than just kind of throwing in the towel and saying, well, I'm not going to get coverage. I just, I'm not healthy. So I might as well just take this option, the, the path of least resistance, as we say, um, and have all these exclusions on the policy. I just, I just find that if, if you do get rejected for insurance and you go through that whole under writing process this could be the last resort if you want coverage as opposed to using that as the first choice this, this is kind of like the money mart of life insurance yeah mm. absolutely absolutely it's easy button it's it's path of least or isn't that's human nature it's just like oh let's just i'll make a phone call i'll get my insurance and i'll be done and move on and i'll go buy groceries like it's just not it's not the way to do things if you if you want to save a lot of money um go through the underwriting process to sit down with a financial advisor and, and go through the process. And as you said, Jay, it's just not necessarily the place to start the conversation. You got uh, we are you planning got your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Llewellyn are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. Call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to take a quick break here. We are coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Llewellyn are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905 905- Nine seven two seven four two zero. All right, this is going to be a fascinating discussion. I can tell right now. Uh, the art of spending money, because I think this is something everyone can relate to. Yeah. You know, our show has been about the saving side of money for most of the segments we've talked about over the last almost twenty years now. But there's been a lot of psychology on the other side. The art of spending money. And lots of quotes. The one particular quote grabbed my attention. Spending spending money to show people how much money you have is the fastest way to have less money. Mm. By Morgan Housel from the Psychology of Money. And so they're actually looking at, you know, we've often talked about, okay, saving and their savers or spenders. And, and it all comes back to our wealthiest people have a certain personality about money and they save better they invest better they're you know and we we kind of have client relationships and we understand what makes them tick that's on the saving side but what about the spending side so it's kind of interesting uh former general electric jack welch almost died of a heart attack way way back now he was a super successful uh, ceo and he wrote a book and famous book and he's done a lot of great things as running a company but when he he was rushed to the hospital lived and they the first thing he said, he says, damn it, I didn't spend enough money, was Welsh's response to what was going through his mind in the last moments of his life. Hmm. The interviewer was puzzled and said, why in the world would that go through his mind? He says, we're all products of our background. I didn't have two nickels to rub together when I was young, I'm, so I'm relatively cheap. I always bought cheap wine. After the heart attack, Welsh said, I swore to God I'd never buy a bottle of wine for less than $100. And that was absolutely one of the takeaways from this experience. Is that it? 
the interviewer asks is that's about it. So <laughs> at the end of the day, it's like, these are the things you've been so careful with your money. Now, this person was very well off. And he's sitting there saying, why am I leaving? Why am I not living life to the fullest? And I call this maximizing fun. When it comes to using your money, let's maximize your fun to try to accomplish your goals and live the best life you can lead. So money is very complicated. And there's a human element that you know defies logic. It's very personal. It's extremely messy and extremely emotional. And you, all you have to do is talk to any husband or wife to discuss a, a topic about what they're spending their money on. And you can go through all those gyrations. So this happens on both the saving side and the spending side. So like as I mentioned, behavioral uh, finance is well documented. And most of the attention goes about the investment side. But Welsh's story really goes into the spending side. And there's a science to spending money how to find a bargain, how to make a budget, things like that. But there's also an art to spending. And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. And that can't be quantified quite so easy. So it was broken into um, 13 different segments. And and this one book called The Greatest Show on Earth, because it's the ability to reveal things about people's character and values, how people invest their money tends to be hidden from view. Now we all, it's almost like a taboo to find out, you know, how much money people have so that's hidden however how they spend it is far more visible so what does it show about their spending can be extremely insightful so number one is your family background and past experience heavily influence your spending preferences so if you look back at the past way back in june 1927 the roaring 20s there's a headline the more you're snubbed when you're poor the more you enjoy displaying your wealth that was one of the headlines in the papers way back. That hasn't changed a whole lot. And you look at COVID right now. People are coming out like there's a party. When they finally got, came out, they wanted to spend like in droves. And it was revenge spending, they called it. They, they weren't able to spend for basically a year and a half. And they came out droves and spent money. And again, hence why we have the inflation effects that we came along with it. So revenge spending happens at a broad level. The most stunning examples or when you see wealthy adults that kind of lived a poor life when they're younger and they're heckled, bullied, teased for being poor as kids, well, you wait till they have money. Um, the revenge spending becomes permanent. It's it's really a it's dug deep into their core in their brain. So if you dig into it, you'll see a dip, dis, appropriate share of those with biggest homes, the fastest cars, the shiniest jewelry often grew up snubbed in some way or form. So part of their spending isn't about getting value for what they're spending the money about. It's about healing a social wound that inflicted, it was inflicted upon them when they were young. So this wound might be the, not the right word. Yes, Jay. Yeah, we see that a lot with professional athletes, right? Um, you know, they 100%. come from they come from um, meager upbringings, and then they they fall into all this money, and and then they just start flashing it everywhere and buying fancy cars and, and all that kind of stuff no different than lottery winners right like a lot of lottery winners that are out there that come from again not a whole lot and then all of a sudden they've got tens of millions of dollars in their account and then we hear about these stories where they're out of money the next you know two three years later they're completely broke and you're like how does that happen to these people and it's just exactly and, what you're saying right and there's a revenge spending right there absolutely yeah. and yeah. and this is actually interesting for somebody that grew up in an old family affluent household if somebody had a lamborghini a lamborghini or i guess the proper term now on the street is called lambo 
is uh, and a lot of those um, uh, sports figures you're talking about, Jay, they, that's their kind of car of choice these days is the Lambos. And uh, it's shown as a for the for the wealthy old money. It's kind of like a, a symbol of gaudy egotism. And those that grew up with nothing, it, this serves as the ultimate symbol that they've made it in life. And this is that athlete that you're mentioning. So number true, too, is uh, entrapped by money rather than using it to build a life. And your life is built around money. So Vanderbilt, one of the richest people in American history, he built a 135,000 square foot Biltmore house. Now, just put that 135,000. Okay, this is massive. Like if you live in a 4,000 square foot house, that's considered a decent size. Um, that's massive. It had 40 master bedrooms. It had full, um, full-time staff of 400 people. So this is huge. This is a castle. And I remember actually walking <laughs> around all these castles. It's amazing. But the cost, it, it, the house would never last cost so much to maintain. It absolutely almost ruined Vanderbilt. 90% of the land was sold off to pay taxes. And the house was turned over to a tourist attraction eventually. But they devote themselves to pleasure. And in, in what they were saying in, in 1875, they were devoting themselves to pleasure regardless of the expense. Well, the Vanderbilt's actually said, no, that's not true. We've actually devoted ourselves to the expense regardless of pleasure. They're just doing it. There's no pleasure. They didn't even use the house because they said it wasn't practical. They couldn't find anything. How do you get into the kitchen? It's like living in a hotel. So that's it's an interesting way. So you'll often look at how many personal bankruptcies are caused by spending with no joy that was brought to them. Like there must be a lot of brain. They buy things and it just they end up in a corner. They use them once and Next thing you know, they're in financial difficulty, and it's a double loss. Not only you're in trouble financially, but you never had fun getting into the trouble in the first place. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, and right now, the average employee loses 1.5 days per year due to money stress. And so it's, uh, and they found that the things that create the most happiness with money, first of all, um, money does give you happiness, but to a point. They found that people that make over 100, around 100,000 they are happier than somebody that makes 50,000. But those that make 150,000, there is no real difference after that. So 100,000 seem to be the line in the sand. Same with net worth. Those that have a million dollar net worth seem to have just as much happiness on the happiness scale as somebody with a $10 million net worth. So now getting to the million made them happier. They're able to do more things. But what were they? What makes you most happy? Um, experiences. Spending your money on something that you'll enjoy, something you remember, something you take a, a picture of and you say, you know, that was a great time. Um, helping others, whether it's family, whether it's uh, charities, that gives people some real joy and happiness. And number three was things that save time. You know, if you don't like shoveling your driveway and you pay somebody to shovel your driveway or the snowstorm, there's some happiness in that. You're not there doing that, that chore. So doing the things that, or maybe a cleaning person um, what have you, those type of things that save time, those make people happier. So we see this often, Jay, is the fru- frugality inertia, the lifetime of good savings, you'd think would transpose themselves into, hey, I've made it, I can spend money now. It doesn't. Those habits don't end up going into a spending phase. And this is really uh, difficult. They, they can't stop there. They enjoy saving. It's now become a game to save money as opposed to what does money represent? 
And what can I do with money? Can I help others? Can I have some great experiences? Can I save time with this money? Like all those things, it doesn't work that way. So they can't break off that struggle. So a lot of financial planners, funny enough, talk about the biggest challenges is getting their clients to spend money in retirement. And I know that we have these conversations, Jay, all the time. No, for sure. Yeah, more more often than not where we've got, um, you know, two two family members and let's say maybe the husband or wife passes away prematurely and there's some insurance money. Now they've got all kinds of money, but they've lived such a, uh, a modest lifestyle their whole entire life, maybe off one income and they didn't know how to live any differently. And now they've got all this money, not, not too different than when people are selling their houses now and getting a million dollars in their bank account or a couple million dollars in their bank account. And then, then they're like, well, we're not spending it though. Like, well, yeah. you, you've got a million dollars. Why aren't you doing something with this? And they just don't. They they've sold their house. They're paying rent maybe somewhere. They downsize and they've got all this money. And they just don't spend the money. That's just yeah. And, just, and they can do a lot of good things. They can enjoy themselves. And again, we're only here for night, finite time. And the ones I I, I seriously hate is that that feeling of regret. Mm-hmm. People do all the right things and they regret they didn't do certain things, like the Jack, Jack Welch story from the hundred dollar bottle of wine. So whatever is your thing, you know, you should do it if you can afford it. And so this is one area that we help our clients and literally make them take trips and do things. We have these discussions with our clients. Next, number four is the emotional attachment to large purchase. You know, we're human. And Scott could attest to this. You know, you're buying a a house or you have a cottage. Those are big ticket items, likely the biggest ticket item you ever have. But that cottage represents your children's memories, represents great times. It's no longer a asset. It's what it represents. So it's hard to separate yourself from that asset. So again, a financial planner will sit across from you and say, okay, what should we do with this asset? What's the best estate plan? Should we even sell it? Because it's very difficult. We're all human. It's hard to separate ourselves from those emotions. And funny enough, the joy of spending actually diminishes as income rises because there's less struggle and sacrifice and sweat in those purchases. So what they mean by that is when you had that summer job, Jay, and you worked away at something and you you got $25 uh, to cut somebody's lawn and you took it and you said, you know what, I'm going to go and buy myself a milkshake or whatever it might be. It's just a little <laughs> thing. Yeah, okay, yeah. but you twenty five dollars. Twenty five dollars to cut the lawn. That's that would have been a fortune back then. I my first job, I think I made three dollars an hour. Oh, you lived in the city, Jay. I <laughs> I, I I had to cut lawns or acre acres, so I got twenty five oh, okay. bucks. All right, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it was a struggle. So you really appreciated those purchases. Now that you're comfortable, you don't even think twice to stop by a McDonald's or what have you, or buy or going to a restaurant because you can afford it. It's no longer a treat, if you will. It's like, okay, well, I can afford it. And so it's those people, and it was kind of interesting, Richard Nixon, of all people, said the most unhappiest people in the world are the ones living in the south of France, Newport, Palm Springs, going to parties every night, playing golf every afternoon, drinking too much, talking too much, thinking too little, retired, no purpose. So while there are those that, that would disagree with this and say, gee, if I could only live like that, um, that would be awesome. Um, if I could only have not have to work every day, I could just be out fishing, hunting, playing golf, traveling. It'd be the best life in the world. You know, because what makes life mean something is purpose, a goal, the battle, the struggle, even if you don't win it. And this is the idea of, of, of having money. And, and so I earned this money versus I won a lottery. 
it means something. And now you say, okay, I deserve this because I earned the money. And there's something to be said about that. So quite often, um, clients are um, like penny, penny wise, uh, dollar foolish kind of thing. And they ask the $3 question, oh, can I afford a latte? Or whatever the question might be, versus the $30,000 question, oh, you know, what should, uh, what university should our kids go to? And so we get caught up with the things that we can relate to more rather than the ones that can actually impact your financial future. And this is actually shown when they had a meeting and they call this the Parkinson's law of trivility. Uh, it states basically the attention of the problem gets an inverse amount of the um, importance. They had something talking about a 10 million nuclear reaction, uh, react rather, a $400 employee bike shed, or $20 for an employee refreshments in the break room. Well, the committee quickly said, yeah, yeah, that's approved for the $10 million for the nuclear reactor because they don't understand it. It's nothing they actually deal with every day. The bike shed got a lot more attention. The ones that got the most attention was the employee refreshment took up two thirds of the debate because <laughs> everyone has a strong opinion. What's the best coffee? What's the best cookies? Here's the best chips. And this is how a lot of um, households operate. They operate on what they know and what they can relate to. And it doesn't end up, and again, this is what a financial plan is all about, having somebody oversee the big picture to make the big decisions so that we, you're on the right track. And it's, it's, it really is important to have that wealth coach by your side. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Llewellyn are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Llewellyn are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. Call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. A lot of emotion and money. Don's been talking about that. You're going to talk about market emotion. What's the difference here? Yeah, so very similar to what Don was talking about. Don was talking about spending and, and a little bit about saving. I'm just going to talk more broad strokes about what's going on in the markets. Um, a lot of people uh, during the last little while, the roller coaster ride of the stock market uh, for the last few years, uh, really upsetting some people, making people uncertain what's going on, inflation, interest rates, really making people feel uneasy, I guess, for the for the most part. But it's no different. It's been like that for the last hundred years. We've seen it time and time again. I, you know, I've only been in this business for a short twenty six years, but I've seen a lot of this roller coaster go go through for clients. Yeah, it's a little different right now. The pandemic has magnified um, uh, this massive emotion on 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 clients and and. And we understand that as advisors, then, and we do a lot of hand holding. Don and I, we, when we're in meetings, that's what we're doing, uh, talking to people, saying, you know what, you've got to stay invested. And it's very difficult. The conversations that we have with clients right now is because 
especially back in June when the, when the markets were down even further. Uh, they bounced back a little bit since then, but it's, it's very difficult to have that conversation with clients for them to realize that, you know, we're doing our job by telling you to stay, stay the course. And it's sometimes doing no, no movement in, in the market or doing nothing in your portfolio is the best thing you can do. And, you know, and we're looking at what we do as a, as a, as our job day in and day out. And it's, it's looking at what people's goals are and where they should be invested. So you can't necessarily just say, yeah, I should be in cash because it's paying 5% right now. Why am I not in cash? Why am I taking any risk? Well, if you're in cash right now and getting 5% and, in and inflation is at 6.3, um, it's an erosion of your capital. So if you just sit there on the sidelines, you're going to have less money at the end of the day. And if, if it continues to be like that, and that's generally if you, you sit in cash, inflation is higher than what cash is paying. So you de definitely have to look at what your goals are. You know, whether it's retirement goals, whether it's debt reduction, education savings, estate planning, um, you really have to look at the asset allocation, which is very crucial to the success of the portfolio. But the other thing is the asset location. Um, and that's that's where the planning comes in, where Don and I step in and say, okay, what's the what's the appropriate place to be putting your money? Not necessarily where to invest it in terms of it, should I be in the US or should be in Canada or should I be in bonds or should I be in cash? More where should it be invested? Should it be in TFSA? Should we be maxing out TFSA? Should we be maxing out RSPs? Should we be maxing out our ESPs? Are our kids getting older? What are our goals? Is our estate more important? So all of those things come together and we really focus on what the goals are as opposed to what the actual investments are with inside that. Um, that's, that's our job and that's what we do. And a lot of clients tend to focus on what the investments are as opposed to the goals. So we have to bring them back and look at what the goals are and what are they trying to accomplish. Um, again, it's hard for, for clients to go through that. Usually what happens in the in the beginning stages when we bring a client on, there's some optimism and excitement. They're excited about what the market does. And if the market's doing well, they're really excited. And then the markets hit a peak and they're, it's euphoria. They're like, wow, this is great. The markets are great. And, and it's, again, nothing that Don and I are doing. It's what the markets are doing doing they go up and down um but but clients seem to think uh, there's there's something that we can do for them and move in and out of the market in time and, and we and we just can't you can't beat the markets um so um yeah so emotions that come into to play um you know you got euphoria and then then once the markets start to drop you start to feel a little fearful maybe a little anxiety um what am i doing should i be doing second guessing yourself um then the markets drop a little bit further then that panic set Sandy, you're like, okay, they call, they call the one of the uh, client may call us and start to start to worry and, and question what our, what we're doing and questioning the goals. And, and Don and I pull it back and say, listen, we have to focus on the long-term goal here. It can't be just what's going on at this point in time. Um, you know, mar markets bottom out and it's depression and they want to sell and move into, move into cash uh, and out of the markets. And then market picks back up as it always does. And then there's that sense of hope and people start to feel a little bit more relieved and then oh, wait a minute the market are back to where they were when we started and now there's optimism again so it's a constant roller coaster of going from optimism to euphoria down to depression or anxiety panic back up to optimism so i look at i'm meeting a client this afternoon or not a client a, a prospect this afternoon and it's interesting he was he was moved into cash in in june of uh of the last year and 
he said, you know, I just wanted to be safe and I, I get my 5% and I'm really happy. 5% is really good. So I looked at it. I said, okay, on his million dollar portfolio, he got 5% in the last six months from June till now, he got 5%. So 5%, you think on a million bucks, that's 50,000. Well, it's only six months. So it's really only 25,000 that he's made. The flip side of that, if he would have just stayed invested in the market over the last six months, the market's returned 10%. So that's actual return. So on his million dollars, he actually would have made 100000 on that money during the last six months, where in the GIC or the cash, he's only made 25000 because that's annualized, whereas opposed to the stock market's actually what's happened in the last six months. So the difference in, in this gentleman's portfolio, and I'm going to love to meet with him and hear what he has to say, what, what why he did what he did, but um, there's a difference of $75,000 in the last six months on a million dollar portfolio, difference with sitting in cash or sitting in the market. So you can't time that. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know when that market's going to bounce back. And my point is that you just have to stay invested. If you don't stay invested and, and ride out the course and keep your goals in focus, you're going to miss out on that 75000 on that million dollar portfolio. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Llewellyn are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Another quick break here. We're coming back for our last segment. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Llewellyn are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. All right, spend 43% more. What does that mean? Yeah, this whole show, it looks like I'm talking about spending this this show. That's, yeah. a, that's a new one. Yes, and it's interesting because part of our job is that side of it, is you build up all this money and what do you do with it? And so it's not, it's we really truly want people to have the best life they can make from the money they put aside. So I was meeting with a client of mine and he's a new client. He's been with me for just over a year and we're having our second meeting now since since our, our original uh, meeting. And he had, he had a different relationship. He would go and see his financial planner before and they would talk about what do the markets do? Should we make any changes? Did we beat the benchmarks? You know, that kind of thing. And I think that's kind of what he had anticipated this meeting to be. And even though in our original meeting was all about financial planning, tax advice, estate planning for the kids, making sure their education is taken care of, the bigger picture kind of goals. But here he is and he's all ready and he's armed with all the performance, which hasn't been that great. And he started asking the questions, which I answered for him. But I said, you know, at the end of the day, this isn't really like I can't control, as Jay just mentioned, I can't control what it did this in the past year. The markets, you're a very well balanced portfolio. So. I'm more concerned about, are you living the best life you can lead? You know, did we do the best income splitting tax wise? We need to look at your tax returns. And next time I would like to have your will to make sure your kids are, you know, how is your will developed for, you know, you have three kids and how is that broken up? And maybe you have certain charities you want to look at. It says, wow, you know what? I need, I need that stuff. And I said, I know, but uh, we have to talk about that. So we do what's called an LPP, a living plan portal and really short form living plan. And we go through all the data and we've done this with his assets. What, what does he have? What's his debts, his cash flow? Where is he currently spending his money? 
inflation, we, in, we, we actually go a little higher on inflation. Um, we take a look at the returns and we actually go a little low. We try to go very conservative on returns. So we try to stress test the portfolio, the taxes. In fact, this whole program is built on the tax platform. So it changes right away it, with the new tax rates. So it's very accurate on the tax side of things. What cars are you buying? You know, what it, what, how much you'd like to give out in gifts? All the different, basically, lifestyle things that go into a person's life, including weddings. And so we went through all this. And I said, you know what? You literally could spend just your pensions right now, and you'd be happy. And I said, yeah, actually, we're saving a few hundred dollars a month on your pensions. Yet he's got lots of other money. And he's got that invested with me now. So I went through and you know what? I said, let's say, would you be happy if you had whatever you have right now as an estate for your kids? He said, that'd be amazing. He said, you know what? They have the investments we have right now. They would have the cars, you know, and and it says, well, I worked through the numbers and I told him he could spend 43% more than he's currently spending. 43% more. He was flabbergasted. Basically, and it was shown very clearly using all the examples, uh, of all the data. This is very data-driven. This isn't just an opinion. This is going through all the spend. And so, unfortunately, his wife was not at this particular meeting. Normally, we always have both spouses. He, she couldn't make it. She will be back afterwards, after tax time, and we're going to be going through this. But he said, are you kidding? So I could do this and I could do absolutely. What about the golf courses? I, you know, he's, he's a golfer. You know, I, I was thinking about picking up skiing again because yeah, he used to ski before all these things that were holding him back because he wasn't sure he wasn't confident. And at the end of the day, we want to create transparency, clarity and confidence in what people can do. And also on the same token, what they can't do. So if you have somebody that is perhaps a spender, and they're trying to keep up with the Joneses, then it says, okay, this is going to really impact your retirement. And we've got to scale this back. Otherwise, you will not have the retirement that you would like to have. And longevity risk is, in my opinion, is the long, the biggest risk there is. So longevity, how long will you live? Well, it turns out this person's parents lived to um, high 80s, both of them. And so you know, everybody's living in, it seems, high 80s, and likely he'll live into the 90s. So he says, I've got like a good 30 years ahead of me, perhaps. And it says, absolutely. And so we want to take this into account. And we said, okay, let's say you both live to 95. You could spend 43% more. So that was one of the assumptions. Until it was actually shown on the, in our boardroom, on our big screen, showing everything that was taken into account. And this is extremely detailed. And he's a detailed person. He says, okay, that blows my mind. And that's why I'm working with you, Don. That's why we're here. It isn't about, did we beat the benchmarks? What about the markets up or down? It's about getting the proper plan to live the best life that he could live. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson, Don Fox, and Jay Llewellyn have been here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management 
at 905-972-7420. Another fabulous and informative show, gentlemen, and highly entertaining as well, I might add, this week. <laughs> with lots of fascinating stories. There we go, yeah. <laughs> anyway, no, have thanks, a great so. week. I appreciate thanks it, so much. Scotch. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.